Sagabits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things with your hosts, George and Barry. Look, it's a giant talking egg. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the master here. So what's up? Hello and welcome to Sega Talk episode number 52. I'm your host, George, and with me is Barry. Hello, everybody. Today, we're talking about Sega of America's, mostly Sega of America's, like, point of view, because this service was kind of the most popular in America, So, and we're from America, so it would make sense to talk about the service through our point of view. And uh, it's the 1994 online, like, I don't even know what to call it, like a rental service, I guess that's what it would be called, Sega Channel, which... It's a channel. Yeah, and... It should be an interesting break because we've been doing a bunch of games before and I like taking a break, you know. So today we're going to be talking about a live service, which is kind of difficult because, uh, I mean, let's just start it up then, like we always do. And I guess before we get into this, I had to plug the Patreon. So if you guys want to support this show, go to www.patreon.com slash segabits. And Barry, you want to announce that you have another episode of your Fastest Food Alive, right? Yeah, that's right. So um, I'm going to release a new Fastest Food Alive covering Sonic the Hedgehog energy drinks. I'm going to talk about G Fuel. I'm going to talk about the canned version, the powdered version. I'm going to talk about Speed energy drink, which was like a classic Sonic one. You could find at Spencer's for the past few years. Um, And then I have some other little bits. So that's going to be... Uh, Patreon exclusive for like a good three weeks or so, and then I'm going to put it on YouTube. Um, also, I should point out, we have lost a few patrons, and I will not have that. We need people to support us because we don't make jack shit on YouTube. That's true. Uh, and we can say the S word. We can say bad words because we, we definitely Yeah, what are they going to do? Yeah. yeah, but we do have we do have younger kids listening, so don't fucking swear. Okay. Um, That's the last time. said that. Um, we always open up these episodes with us talking about our history with games, but like Sega channel was kind of a service and it only had a few people in America. I mean, a hundred, 250,000 people in its height. And maybe we were in one of them. At least I wasn't, uh, were you part of the Sega channel, uh, gamer play base? (sighs) Yeah. Well, I remember, um, my dad brought home. No, he did. Nothing happened. No. <laughs> uh, this is a, a piece of Sega history I never got into. Um, I feel like it came and went so fast that by the time I would even understand what it was, it was probably gone. And that's the case for a lot of um, things like <laughs> like this that happened in the 90s with Sega. I mean, I even missed out on Sega Saturn. So that just shows how plugged in I was in terms of what, what the hell was going on. Um I honestly, I was, I can't even think of knowing about it. Like I'm think, I'm racking my brain for like Sonic comic ads or something, but I, I didn't see anything and I don't know what to tell you. Nothing, nothing's coming to mind. <laughs> I, uh, I didn't have it, but I remember being like a kid and I used to have this friend. He was like my best friend in grade school and we were just kind of obsessed with like consoles that never had like niche consoles. Like we would, we would go and like find somebody that had a 3DO and be obsessed with the 3DO because nobody's ever heard of it. And then right. we were talking – one time he bought a uh, – we bought together a TurboGrafx-16 in a yard sale. And he kept it because I was like, I'm not really going to play it. 
and he was really obsessed with owning one, so I gave it to him. Big mistake now that I think about it. Um, cause they're like super expensive. We got it for like 10 bucks with like 10 games. Right. So, and he was telling me that his dad used to have Sega channel and I didn't believe him. I thought it was one of those, my, my, uh, dad works at Nintendo, you know, oh, a cable yeah. service with every single Genesis game. He said every single Genesis game at the time. So that left it like a big impression on me. And we used to watch, um, Howard Stern <laughs> late at night on E channel, even though we're not supposed to. And he, there was a bit where they actually talked about the Sega channel, so then I knew it was a real thing. But then I never huh. looked into it. So the bit was just that, like, they sent him, Howard, the, the Sega channel, and he just got mad at one of the producers at the show because that's what they do all the time on the show. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> and that's And so I knew it was a real thing. I did a lot of notes on this, and there's a lot of information that I, I was just shocked. I was like, I didn't know about all this. This thing was actually pretty big. It was a pretty big deal, and Sega of America really wanted to push it, even on Sega Saturn. So mm-hmm. it all started well, – <clears throat> well, uh, America is known for Sega Channel starting up in 1994. Sega was way ahead of the curve in Japan, where they basically launched an internet-based service called Me- uh, Sega MegaNet. Where it operated via cartridge and Mega Modem, which allowed the Mega Drive owners to play 17 games. The service was launched in Japan on November 3rd, 1990. And the pay was like 100 yen, which is $7.58 USD converted today. Well, the modem and the game cart would actually cost you 120 bucks on top of that. So you had to own the hardware. Uh, for a while, Sega of America was actually looking to release this, and they were going to call it the Telegenesis, which is a terrible name. But they scrapped it early on because I, I think it's because we don't really have that much internet in America, especially in the early '90s, and especially in 1990. I don't, I don't think I know knew anyone with internet until like at least the early 2000s. I don't know about you, Barry. Um, I had internet in. The lit, like the mid to late nineties, we had an IBM PS one with prodigy internet and we could like get news feeds. Uh, I, I don't know if there were message boards or chat. I don't think there was, but it was very, very basic internet. So even in 1990, that would have been kind of like way ahead of the curve for your family. Like your dad probably, maybe your dad would be into it, but you probably very unlikely right yeah this must this must have been like maybe 94 95 i want to say um so yeah it was it was very basic internet but i mean if you're younger and listening to this like at the time the internet really was more like just a data transfer like you could bring things into your home like information or in this case games like text things like that but there was never really anything like video. There wasn't really any communities unless you were really tech savvy. And that's why you'll hear like these stories about very early internet. And it's always like, you know, super hardcore people who are actually having these little messages in between each other. But like basic homes didn't really didn't have that going on unless you were part of like a service. Yeah. Or like, yeah. like you said, very tech savvy. Cause I remember uh, some of the earliest messages from like video gamers being like hating each other was like somebody in the mid eighties or late eighties posting about how the Nintendo NES is going to fail because cartridges are outdated and nobody wants cartridges. And uh, right. I mean, obviously they're wrong, but it's hindsight's 2020. 
Um, and I, I should correct myself. I, I actually think it was, I might have had internet home internet as early as 1991. Wow. So you were yeah. ahead of the curb. You're, I mean, your father was definitely ahead of the curb when it came yeah, to Yeah, because I'm, I'm looking at screenshots. I'm looking at information about the IBM PS1 and what they offered. And yeah, it was, it was very slight, though. Like, <laughs> again, like as a kid, I didn't really care about reading the news. And to me, I was like, we just get the newspaper. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, my question to you is, did you know about the Sega Mega Modem and uh, doing online that it, it was doing online rentals four years before Sega Channel launched in America? And do you think what do you think is a better name, Sega Channel or Telegenesis? Um, well, I first became aware of the Mega Modem probably in the late 90s, early 2000s when I started seeing like, you know, the they'll do those photos of like what Japan had, but they'll kit it out with every accessory. Of course. And yeah. so, yeah. And so I'd see that modem there. I didn't know what it did though. I thought maybe it might be online gameplay, like between homes. Mm. Um, I didn't know the, I didn't know the function of it. Um, as for the name between telegenesis and Sega channel, um, I think Sega channel makes a lot more sense, especially when at that time, um, pay-per-view was a thing. And so when you say Sega Channel, it kind of brings to mind a pay-per-view sort of setup where you, you pick from a very, you know, uh, simplistic list and then you select it. Yeah. And in this case, it, it loads temporarily to your machine. Exactly. Um, yeah. Telegenesis sounds more like a monitor to me, to be honest. Yeah. Or like some telemarketing or something to do with the phone, <laughs> yeah. which I guess that's what they were trying to go for. It plugs into your modem. Um, I'm happy that they scrapped it because I think that it's more rare for people to have internet back then. And I think, I don't know, like, I, I just don't see people using it as much as a cable service with like a big, because we'll, we'll talk about it, but there was a big infrastructure created with these companies that Sega teamed up with. It wasn't a small feat. So, uh, so while Sega had the idea of distributing video games via the internet, like Game Pass, for example, the internet wasn't as widespread in America in the early 90s due to how far apart everything is. So Sega decided to team up with cable providers to uh, offer Sega Channel through compatible TV packages as a subscription deal. They announced the service as, as a joint venture in America in 1993 with Telecommunications Inc., and Time Warner Cable with support of Southern New England Telecommunications Corporation. <laughs> like most comp competition in America, TCI used to be the largest cable provider at the time, and in 1999 they were bought out by AT&T, while Time Warner Cable is still kicking around with the brand name Spectrum, which some of you guys might know uh, as that internet company that everybody complains about. I always hear online. Uh the idea was <clears throat> the idea was to launch the service early in 1994, but it saw several months of delay. The first few months of 1994 saw the service do testing in Japan, where it uh, had 500 Japanese homes testing it. Then manufacturer Scientific Atlanta would ship the first head head uh, they call them head ends, the cartridge basically. In April, before it was shown at the National Cable and Telecommunications Association show in 1994. And yes, I guess cable was so big that they would have like a trade show, kind of like E3, but with cable people. It must have been super exciting. Can you imagine all the cosplaying? 
I don't think they had cosplay. <laughs> they just like, oh, I'm, I'm a modem. I'm the first modem ever made. Um, <laughs> Pretty Sega, much. Sega Channel would also be at Summer CES uh, Consumer Electronics Show, 1993 in early June. Uh, trials for the uh, for in America for the cable service reached over 5,000 consumers in June 6th in Charlton, South Carolina. Then it continued in a bunch of states, and it finally ended in California. I forgot where, but it but it finally rolled out to American homes in December of 1994. So they basically barely made 1994 uh, releasing this thing. And uh, here's a quote of the press release uh, on November 30th, 1994, made by Sega Channel President and CEO Stanley Thomas. Hmm. We're very excited about the test results. Sega Channel has performed even better than our expectations in virtually every area researched. From, uh, from subscriber satisfaction to uh, perceived value. Uh, they also said in the press release that 37% of Sega Channel subscribers upgraded from the basic package and 8% of subscribers never had cable before Sega Channel. So this was impressive for cable providers since they're always trying to get more people on their service. Wow. So uh, while I skipped most testing states because I don't think it's important, it seemed that Sega tested the service a lot before launch. Have you ever done beta testing for anything in the past? Yes, I get, it came out of nowhere. Hmm. Um... Me, beta testing. I mean, I've done some of those things where they call it an open beta, but yeah. then it's just like the game's just released, like PSO 2. Um, but as far as anything like a closed beta test, uh, no. I know both you and I have done stuff with Sega, but like we can't talk about it. <laughs> yeah, we can't talk about it. Um, I did some stuff on like Fantasy Star Bluebirst. I remember doing some stuff for like... Uh, there, there used to be a Warhammer online game before it died. Uh, I did beta testing on that, but nothing mm. huge, nothing like I, nothing like Sega Channel. It would have been pretty sick being one of the first households to have this, uh, package. Cause I mean, mm. only 5,000 people in America had it at one point and they had it for like six months before everyone else. That's pretty cool. At least for a Sega fan. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> So the adapter sold uh, – so there was different shapes and sizes of this uh, adapter. I've only found three on the internet, which we'll look at in a little bit. Uh, and basically you would link a cable TV box via an RF connector and the, and the adapter would need its own power, uh, which has sort of become a meme in the Sega add-on – with Sega add-ons where like everybody's like – how many plugins do you have? You have a 32X, Sega CD, the Genesis, then now <laughs> this, right? Um, and this had needed its own power too. Depending on the model, it would come with its own plastic spacers. You, get, I think every Sega fan that's like a hardcore collector understands that there's plastic spacers that are probably expensive today now, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to make sure that it would, uh, I mean, it just basically makes sure you could use it on the Mega Drive or the Genesis or the Model 1 or the Model 2 versions of the console. Unlike other add-ons like the Mega Modem, 32X, Sega CD, uh, you didn't actually have to connect this to the console, just to your cable with an RF switch and the power. So you, mm. it kind of worked by itself, it seemed like. Um, I guess it came it, through the cartridge slot. It, it would communicate with the Genesis. but uh, I see. Uh, so it didn't need another cable. 
Um, mm-hmm. What is your uh, what is your opinion on the solution so far for Sega uh, how Se- uh, for the Sega Channel and what is your opinion on collecting connecting so many power outlets for the Tower <laughs> of Power as they call it in the community? Right. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's a pretty clever solution, especially for people that had a lot of things connected. I can't imagine this being another add-on. I don't know where it would go. I don't know if people would be annoyed being like, oh, I got to disconnect my Sega CD every time I want to, you know, connect to Sega Channel. That would be a real headache. Um, so I think it's it's a smart way to do it. As mm. far as the Tower of Power, I don't really have a tower because I have the Model 1 Genesis the 32X, and then I have the Model 2 Sega CD, which I actually prefer because it has fewer moving parts. So it has less of a chance to, like, have issues, even though my Sega CD does have issues. I have to, like, try it a few times or disconnect it and connect it from the console a few times. Um, So it doesn't really go up, you know what I mean? Like, it's a little little higher. Um, But honestly, like... I never experienced the Tower of Power at the time, so I didn't have to, like, like feel the, the pain that other people went through or, or have really any firm opinions on it. For me, I just really liked when I got my Sega CD, and I was really excited when I got my 32X. And maybe at the time, they like, when you got them new, they would have materials telling you how to plug them in, but just getting them used in a box you're lost. So, yeah. Um, so I, I forgot what the website's called. I think it's called like game trog and they have a really helpful like drop down system. So they're like, what Genesis do you own? This one, what, you know, what power outlets do you have this? And then it, it walks you through the whole connection process. It's very easy, but man, um, as far as the power outlet situation, you really have to get creative to get three of those big, <laughs> Uh, uh, definitely power. What are those RC? What are they called? Uh, RC, uh, RF. I think Ace, adapters some, or something. Uh, yeah, the, well, the big the big power bricks for each of them. Yeah, because they fill up so quickly, and I think they even made like a Sega specific one, so they were spaced. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But what I ended up buying is, and you'll see it. They're the ones that are kind of like you can roll them into a circle. So like it's almost like segmented. So you can put each one in place and just kind of bend it apart. But man, it's I can't imagine having this and all of that crap connected. And then there's a karaoke unit that we don't even have over here, thank God. We need uh, that though. We need it. <laughs> so we could have more things on <laughs> it. But uh I have the same thing with you. Uh Mike, I bought a a thirty two X used and I remember being so excited because I had like two games for it. Uh the unit and it came, I think, with an extra controller and I was like, All right, I, and it came with the power adapter and I was like, I'm set. And then I needed another cable, and I was, like, so mad. I was like, where am I going to find a 32X cable randomly? Like, I, not that many people on you had it. And definitely, are, they aren't, <laughs> aren't going to give me their power cable for it so I could play it in the game. Right. So I was uh, – and then I found out that if you actually called Sega, uh, 100 US Sega, you could have actually bought parts for stuff. So I bought it through yeah. there. And I think yeah. it was, like, over. I think it was like 12-something, and then plus shipping, so – that was a lot of money to me back then, but it wasn't that I bad. was I was missing the um, little spacer for the Model 2 Sega CD that caused that would fill in the little gap 
that caused your Genesis one to overhang. Mm. And I actually got it sent by, I, I don't know if it was him, but it might've been Tom from the Dreamcast junkyard. I could be wrong. So it, a part of me is like, it's technically a Mega Drive one, even though they're the exact same thing. So it bothers me, <laughs> you yeah. know, I'm like, it came from Europe. So it's, it's Mega Drive. Like they blessed it, uh, oh, to yeah. become a Mega Drive <laughs> accessory. But it, it, the spacers are the same over there, right? The, the They're exactly the same. There's no difference. It's just, since it came from Europe, it's a Mega Drive accessory, even though it's it's whatever. I'm just being silly. <laughs> uh, but uh, I was going to talk about the logo. Have you ever seen the logo for this? I've remade the logo. I actually drew it from scratch for the um, Sonic Retro... Uh, channel? Uh, yeah, Sega Sega Channel Retro, which was their... And maybe still is their um, is. Twitch channel. It is. They're still their Twitch channel. They they, yeah, they yeah. stream there, and you guys could follow them if you guys want to see retro gaming streams, mostly racing logo. games, and his logo. Yeah. So yeah. I I have the logo up right now. Um, in uh, America, the Sega Channel logo featured a two D person holding a TV and a Sega Genesis controller. Um, I have seen quite a bit of nicknames for him, including Sonic in the Lemon Room. Jumping Blue Man because uh, he jumps during the intro of of the when you boot it up, but the most uh-huh. popular popular and official name seems to be Sega Pat. Um, hmm. I th- and I think the blue and Sonic stuff came because you know he's blue in other logos. Most logos that I've seen, he's actually black, like just a black outline. Um, right. As a graphic designer, what is your opinion on Sega Pat and the Sega Channel branding? Seems um, pretty simple. I- yeah, it's super simple. I think it's fine. I don't really just looking at the logo, it doesn't really tell me that it's it's uh broadcasting video games to your house. Um I understand that they can't really do like a uh satellite dish cuz that's not actually how it works, but I think maybe having something coming to the TV might make a little more sense than just a dude holding a TV and a controller. And it's strange too when you think about it that the controller is just connected to the TV. Yeah, like, like there's no console. Um, yeah, and so it almost like if you were just to see this, you'd and not know what it's connected to, you'd be like, "Oh, Sega made like a TV with a built-in Genesis. That's cool." Um, so as far as like conveying what it actually is, it doesn't really do that great a job. But I think it is a, a fun little logo. It's very nineties, very nineties, um, very very uh, clip arty. It actually reminds me of, and man, I'm I'm blanking on his name. But there is an artist who does very, uh, does like these people shapes. Um, mm. Oh man! So I'll 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 mention it. Um, to me, it definitely reminds me of like when I used to be in grade school and we used to like mess around with Word or whatever. And I would and you would look at the clip art and it was basically one of these things. Mm-hmm. It's um, yeah. Keith Haring. Keith Haring. Mm. So if you look up his stuff, it is kind of Sega channel-y. It's not as um, sharp, but it's got all these people and they're just kind of moving around and stuff. So what, 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 when I went on the internet and I started looking at footage, because there's actually a, a ROM you could download that basically replicates the service, even the loading of the game. So they kind of timed it up to like almost a minute or whatever to load oh, nice. the game. And so it's kind of giving you an idea of what it would have been like doing uh, playing this. And um, one of the things I did notice is that everything looks a lot like Toe Jam and Earl. 
the backgrounds. Even this logo kind of reminds me of something that would be in Toe Jam, but like they just took away all the weird pink and like bright green colors. Then That's interesting. I, then I read that the music was done by the guy from Toe Jam and Earl for the menu. So I'm assuming they, like the people from Toe Jam and Earl had something to do with, or at least they used assets from Toe Jam and Earl. And uh, the design was more skewed, you know, towards that, at least from what I've been seeing. I'd have to get wonder too, uh, the Art Alive, the like art program, that mm-hmm. also has Toe Jam and Earl in it. And it does kind of have a little Sega Channel vibe. Like it uses Sonic in the menus and things like that. So I'm be, I'd be curious if they do have like shared um, development teams or, or people working on the art for that. I would assume so. Yeah. I mean, if, if it's confirmed that the toe jam and Earl guy, I, I don't know if the, the guy that did music for toe jam and Earl worked on like art at art assets himself too. I mean, back then it was like developers did everything, you know? Right. Um, so let's before we start talking about how the service worked, let's look at some of the headings uh, or cartridges as we we we're gonna call it. Um, these were like different for different re- uh, uh, regions. So I went online mm-hmm. and I only found three though, even though it released in Chile and a bunch of other places. Uh, the first one is the most popular one. This one is the first head-in to to come out in America, and this one's made by Scientific Atlanta, who uh, was the manufacturer of these. And this is the most popular one. You can see the packaging. Um, I, I mean, it just looks pretty basic. Uh, yeah. It goes in your cartridge slot. And then we have the second one where it was made by General Instrument. And this one is uh, basically, they call it the Model SGT3000. And this one has like a blue, Sega, this is the blue pat right here. Sega pat is blue here on this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it has way more blue. I guess it looks more, I don't know. It, it's like stands up more like a game it kind of looks more like a game i see yeah i like that one yeah me too and then we have the last one which i think is the best one in japan they had sonic on the branding for the sega channel and it even copied the mega drive sonic like aesthetic so they Mm. basically pushed sonic as the mascot for sega channel in japan even though that's cool even though, I mean, Sonic was most, more popular here, they kind of, like, didn't use them as the branding, which is kind of strange. Uh, yeah. Out of all these headsets, uh, which ones do you do you like the best? And if you were to buy one, which one would you want to have on your console just for looks, since they're useless? Well, if <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the uh, cart size is different between Japan and America, right? I think so, yes. Yeah, so I... I would love to have the Sonic one, but I don't think it would stand up in my American Genesis. So mm. I'd probably go for the General Instrument one because it looks nicer. Um, but then I'd, I'd import the Sega Channel uh, J- Japanese one just to have Sonic the Hedgehog. It is interesting, though, that they s- took the time to make three completely separate molds for this. It's not like they reused anything. You and, know uh, what I mean? Like, yeah. It seems like a lot of work. Yeah, and I've heard there's there's other ones that we haven't seen because I don't I guess just people haven't posted them online. I I don't know. I guess we'll find out. But uh yeah. in the future hopefully. But um I'm I'm going to start this one up by saying like, like I'm no expert at, at how this like technically works. So I'm going to try my best to explain it. So basically this it was basically digital data provided via a cable provider then received Oh, let me put the... There's a graph, too. I don't know. Can you watch oh. see the graph here? 
I see it. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, it it, uh, it was provided via cable provider. Then it was sent via satellite, and then to your Sega adapter in the end, right? Um, so you were basically getting programming code that was sent to these like uplinks, downlinks, then these like modular and receivers. And then when it got to your system, your headset would convert that programming code into like an actual game. So it would like process it and then make it into a game that uh, stuck on your RAM. So the thing had its own separate RAM, I'm assuming. And it, would, and it would basically save the data there. And then when you played it and then you heart reset it, it would erase it. So you never kept anything. It would, but if, mm. you, if you soft resetted it, it would like still work like you could press the reset button and then it would just reset the game to the beginning and it would still be loaded up. So, Interesting. But, but if your game kind of had a, uh, if your game kind of had a, uh, what is it like a safe feature, like Sonic three, you'd kind of be screwed because you would have to only play it and then not pause it and then come back or fantasy star two. Right. Did you ever do that when you were growing up where you had to play a game and you got so far, but you had to go to bed and so you paused it and left <laughs> it overnight? I have done that a few times. Um, That's cheating, dude. Yeah. <laughs> no, and I did the same thing all the time. And I yeah. was always scared, though, because like the sometimes those like power adapters on the wall would get really hot. And I was always scared that like I would burn the house down and it would be all my <laughs> fault because I didn't want to uh, turn off my uh, Sega Genesis. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, here's a fun fact. Everything that was beamed from Sega Channel came from Denver, Colorado. I found that out. Uh, unlike, uh, yeah, so we talked about no ser- no, uh, no savings, no nothing saved on any servers. So none of your saves actually worked. Hmm. Uh, since standard cable back then in the day was analog, uh, w- which would pick up a lot of noise, cable companies would try their best uh, to basically stop the the disruption of signals so back then in cable it was pretty like not great picture quality and people were saying that this service kind of made them uh clean up their picture and make uh make it clearer and apparently sega worked with them on this because it was pretty terrible back in the 90s i never had cable that uh early i think i had it maybe 97 is when we first got cable in my house so Mm. i never experienced super early cable um what is your opinion on how this technology works and its limitations like saving like savings not working and all that and did you have cable early on and did you get a lot of noise in your picture if you did (laughs) um so as far as the technology i think it's it's pretty impressive um i'm kind of trying to wrap my head around how this works uh, I don't want to <laughs> go over it again, but I'm assuming then it, they would continually be shooting signals mm-hmm. of all of the games, and then you would then pick up one of those signals, and then it would shoot to your home. It's not like your I, home would request it, and then they would send it. Is that? I I think this is the subscriber loop is where it all kind of like the signal was like transferred to these two modulars, so. When there was an update, the game server would shoot it up to the satellite, which shot it down to the downlink, and then it would kind of stay here in this receiver until the month was over and they updated the games again, you know? Yeah, and you know, looking at this graph too, it it does tell me that if they were to do the logo and be a little more, I don't know, 
impressive and, and t- telling people what they're getting to show like a satellite or something in space, like beaming games down to a, a Genesis would be pretty sweet. Cause that, yeah. that visual alone is just very cool to think I'm at home and video games are coming from the sky into my house. Um, Definitely. It, it's unfortunate that it couldn't save it. I almost feel like if they kept this going, they could have done like a model two where you could like have save slots and then maybe they would have some sort of uh, thing so that it might erase it if you want a new game. Does that make sense? So it's almost like you can keep the game there, but if you want to try any other game, you're going to have to erase that one to get the new one. Like, I think that would be pretty sweet. Um, uh, I think it did kind of help that like a lot of Sega Genesis games had passwords and some of most games didn't have like actual safe right. states. So right. you would have to beat it anyway in one sitting. I think and, that kind of... Go on. No, I, I, um, I, and as far as cable, I had, we had cable, but very basic, I think. And then they would have those uh, preview days. So I remember we would get like South Park for like a week. You know, we'd get Comedy Central and stuff. And then it would go back to being scrambled. Oh. <laughs> it's a thing that... they did. Yeah, yeah. I think I had a cousin that had it, and he would always tell me about that. Um, Sega Channel was actually a living service. I don't know. I don't like saying live service is more like it. Um, As in, it was updated every month from June 1994, when it first launched for testing all the way till 1997. Then it was uh, updated bi-weekly from January 17th until July 31st, 1998. Uh, our sister site, Sega Retro, has been trying to collect all the catalog of all the updates the service had, and they have a lot of missing, actually. So it's hmm. not we don't know all the games that were on the service. A lot of them are lost to time. And according to them, all the games listed there are, are not complete, so bear with us. Um, and while Sega Retro has hundreds of games that came to the Sega channel, according to Wikipedia, it would rotate the titles monthly and they had up to 50 titles every month. Then they would rotate it with some other titles hmm. in 1990. Uh, they would also change the menu too. So if it was Christmas, the background was be Christmas theme and then it was 4th of July. You, you understand. That's cute. Yeah. Um, and, and then uh, in 1997, it was updated by weekly, uh, but they were trying to like market it that you get 70 games a month, but actually it was, 35 games at a time every two weeks. So it technically was less choice than 50 games at one time. Uh, the Sega channel officially closed service on June 30th, 1998. Sega America even looked into making a Sega Saturn compatible variant, but that never happened. Probably because uh, Tom Kalinske left. Um, Sega channel also had sections where... They basically put game uh, games in genres. You know how you, when you go to Netflix, there's action and all that. They had the same right. thing on Sega Channel, right? So they had yeah. they had a thing called test drives. Test drives was basically demos of upcoming and new titles, and were restricted to play like time limit, kind of like old Xbox Live arcade games on 360. So action games would be 20 minutes, while RPGs you could play for 30 minutes. Then it would stop. Uh, they also had the arcade. Uh, genre then they had sports arena the think tank which was like puzzle games swords and spells uh (laughs) family room wings and wheels which is like racing games and flying games and the classics they used to call it 
which is yeah. like older games like you know Altered Beast or you know Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, right. And then later on, they they launched a service called Express Games. This was basically they would charge you two ninety five per month extra to play one newly released game for forty eight hours. So it was a two day rental for three dollars and ninety five cents. And it was usually the test games. So like if a new game came out that month, like let's say Shinobi Three, and it, there was right. a demo for it, you could unlock the full game for two dollars and ninety five cents. The first game to ever be in on the Express Game Service was The Adventures of Batman and Robin in 1995. But today we're going to look at the launch titles. I guess I'm not going to. There was 50 games, right? So we're not going to go through all of them. But is there any games on here that actually stand out to you as like, yeah, I'd be all over that one? Um, on this list here, probably Barney's Hide and Seek. That one's sick. Yeah. Um, one of, that no, one I, the best. I. I'd probably try out games that I'd never think of getting. So like stuff like uh Romance of, of the Three Kingdoms, <laughs> you know, yeah. like Yeah, same here. Weirdo stuff in, like that. Yeah, same here. I was in but they have Super Hang On and Afterburner too, so we could just chill and play that mostly. That's cool. What do you think about them using the name Sword and Spells instead of Swords and Sorcery? Yeah, I wonder if it was <laughs> like they didn't know how to spell sorcery, so they're just like put spells like n swords and spells, weird right? wings, wings and wheels. It's like Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers. I, I think yeah. they changed sorcery because maybe it was too long for the thing, or maybe they just because uh, well, if you I've, notice, they're all kind of short. I'd like to think so, but wings and wheels is pretty long. S O R C E R Y. Yeah, That's you're right. It might have been a limitation, maybe. Yeah. Hmm. So let's. I also want to talk about since I think I looked it up and there was like 178 games that they uh, had listed that came out on the service. But I kind of want to talk about some of the um, the um, exclusives here. If you uh, you want to go through the list real quick, Barry, or can you see it over there? Yeah, I can see it. Yeah. Okay, so, and the ones with that have a uh, whatever they call that thing on the keyboard. Uh, a mark on asterisk. the side. Asterisk. Uh, yeah. They uh, they never got found, so we don't know about these games. Like they never got dumped on the internet, so they're they're missing. And so, can you go through some of these? Uh, I guess ti- titles. Sure, I can read through this list. Um, and so these are ones that I because I could have exclusive. Been... Supposedly, oh, okay, so I mean, I okay. got this from Sega sixteen message board, so please. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. So let's go through this. So, um, Alien Soldier. Sick. Yeah, Mega Man The Wily Wars. Uh, Pulse Man. Golden Axe 3. Donald Duck in Maui Mallard. Yeah, I remember I that think... one. I I could have sworn that came out over here. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, Mr. Nuts. <laughs> Mr. Nuts. Uh, International Rugby Body Count. Cool. Uh, Bloodshot or Battle Frenzy, I guess it had two names. Hurricanes, Power Drive, Nightmare Circus. Is that like Kiss or something? Um, Sonic Eraser, which is probably the most known one of this, just as a Sonic fan. Uh, Garfield, The Lost Levels, so it's probably better than like Mario, The Lost Levels, I'm assuming. Um, mm, yeah. Chess Master, which is probably George's favorite game. It is. I um, love chess. Oh, cool, Dad. Look, chess. Um, <laughs> oh, there's an old guy on the cover. 
<laughs> uh, World Series Baseball 96 LE, which I actually do have a ROM of. It's laying around here. Um, Go- Gotron, Klondike, which sounds like an Atari 2600 game. Probably and was. Then, it probably was. And then Flintstones the movie. Which is one of my um, favorite movies, by the way. I actually like that movie a lot. Like, it's weird, but they totally pull off the Flintstones in live action. And I think John Goodman's great in it. Oh, uh, I, I found the notes finally. It's right here. 146 titles they have archived on uh, Sega Chan- I mean, on Sega Retro that released on the service. That's That's very impressive. So did we figure out if any of these were actually... You know what I might be thinking of? Um, Donald Duck, Maui Mallard. That was on Super Nintendo. Yeah, that's, that's why what, I, yeah, yeah, in America, but not. It's the one with the on with Genesis. the. It's the one where they he has like the he's a ninja basically. It's a karate. Right. So what it is is, and I mean we don't have to get into it, but I don't think Oof. we're ever going to do Maui Mallard. Maybe we will someday, um, but it's like in I, I it's its own character. It's not Donald Duck at all. It's just like a Disney game but with a brand new duck kind of like darkwing duck but he's like named maui mallard and in europe they were like this is weird let's just say it's donald duck but when you look at it it's very clearly not donald duck like at all (laughs) so um they just like slapped donald's name on it and hoped that yeah exactly so they called it donald in maui mallard so it's almost like donald's playing a character very weird so Out of all these games, uh, which Sega Genesis games out of this do you think deserved a full release? Oh, um, most de- well, there's, I think the top one four on the list right there. Yeah, Alien Golden. Soldier, for sure. Mega yeah. Man: The Wily Wars would have been killer. Pulse Man would have been awesome, and then Golden Axe Three. Like, what were they thinking? Yeah, I I would even put the Donald Duck games because I mean mm-hmm. I think Disney games had an appeal in America, and uh, they could have just like because when you look at the cover of the Super Nintendo one, it's so obviously not Donald Duck. So it's like uh, right, yeah. Let me right. uh, there it is right there for people that aren't that you know are watching the video. Um, but yeah. I would I would have to agree with you. They couldn't even put Sonic Eraser, even though it sucks. Who gives a damn? There was like, like they released a Mario's Missing on Super Nintendo, and that game was trash. So like that's true. I mean, if they put a little more time and effort into it, I think they could have done Sonic Eraser and made it like Sonic Columns. That probably would have been actually like Columns as a brand is not that great so if you were to slap sonic on there i think it would make far more sense than mean bean machine because i think puyo puyo is actually a pretty cool brand in and of itself you don't need sonic to sell it but columns is pretty boring and when you consider sonic games have gems already you could have like a story mode where like they're sonic's like he's collecting the emeralds i don't know i don't know i want to buy a repro card of that now though sonic eraser that's cool Let's talk about how much the service was cost back then. So basically, it would cost you $12.95 per month for the service with a one-time $25 activation fee. That would mean – I'm assuming that you would have to – they would probably put something like, oh, the head in, you have to pay $5 more a month. You know how cable companies used to be. Uh, Mm -hmm. Considering that the service had 50 50 games per month – with some to play before release, and back then the re- uh, rentals cost an average of four dollars. 
per a couple days. It was actually considered to be quite a bargain, but I I have some stuff we're going to talk about where people basically are saying it was too much. But it, uh, in the United States, it actually was available to one thirds of the population, and it and it, at its height, it had two hundred and fifty thousand active subscribers. According to Sports hmm. Illustrated for kids at the time, the younger demographic would rather have Sega Channel than a PlayStation One or Nintendo sixty four. Um, uh, was twelve dollars and ninety five cents a good price? I looked. I looked online, and they said in nineteen ninety four, HBO was charging six dollars on average for the service. And uh, what are your thoughts on a game service costing double and a buck more than a famous cable movie channel? I think it's overpriced, um, especially I've... when you consider like inflation now. It's probably like twenty five oh, bucks. Absolutely, and you know. Um... You had to pay for the the little unit too, didn't you? They said it's a one time twenty five dollar activation, and I guess they, the cable company just sent it to you, and you never owned it, so you would have to send it back, or they would probably that overcharge. Sucks. Yeah, that would right. suck. Yeah, because as a collector, I'd be like, even no. even then, I'd be like, this is cool. I want to keep it, even though I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> like it's just cool looking. How much do you think they would charge you for that, just to keep it? You know, knowing cable providers, five hundred bucks. Probably like, Probably 125, some weird number. Yeah. 132. I don't know. I re- I remember, um, this is kind of an aside, I had a modem that I paid for that I used, and then the cable company's like, I was moving, and they're like, all right, send back your modem. And I was like, it's mine. And then I looked, and I'm like, you guys have been charging me $5 a month to, for my own modem? And they were like, uh, oh. yeah, can you send it back? And I was like, I want you guys to come over here and try to take it yourself because I bought this. And they're like, we're so sorry, sir. We're refunding you the $5 that we charged for you month. for the pet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, I'm like, but not for the years they charged you. That, uh, but that's it's, money spent. it's such a gray area, though. It's so strange that someone can put something in your home and you don't own it. And I understand like a car or a house itself, but like a little thing like a modem. That's not yeah. yours. It's so weird. It's such a weird concept to me. I've never done that. If I can buy my own modem, I always buy my own modem. Always. I'm actually with you because those $5 add up, especially after a year. You're like paying, you know, like a couple of years when you have the service, you look down and you're like, I just spent a couple hundred bucks. When the I modem like like 80 bucks on mine, I think. Yes, yeah, I'm saying. So it's way cheaper to do that. Yeah. Um, and also always check your cable bills because you never know, or any bills because you never know when they put costs like that in it. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't, they don't, they they don't know if you're going to check, so they're like, "Well, just charge them." But yeah, that's that's interesting. I'd love to hear stories from people, and I know you asked out on Twitter, but I'd love to hear like customer support. Like, I'd like to hear horror stories. You know, not that I want this thing to be a horror story, but like, I'd like to hear if people ran into challenges like this with that, like. <laughs> You know, probably uh, probably static and bad connection from uh, Time Warner for sure. I can already see it. Um, yeah, yeah. W- while the service was most popular in America, it also launched in Japan, the UK, Taiwan, Hong Kong, Thailand, South Korea, the Netherlands, Germany, Norway, Finland. Isn't that the Netherlands? Yeah. Australia, yeah. France, uh, Argentina, uh, and Malta. Chi- Malta, yeah, and Chile. Um, so, are you surprised that the service was so widespread around the world? I always thought it was just a Sega of America thing. I never really thought that it came out in Japan. I never really thought about it coming out in Chile, out of everywhere. Wow. Not even not Mexico didn't get it, but 
Thailand, Hong Kong, like some of these places. I'm like, did they even play console games back then? Was Sega Genesis a thing over there? It's kind of yeah. Weird, that really man. that really surprises me, and um, especially Malta. Malta is like a little island. Hey, they had uh, Sega Channel, dude. Yeah, it's a little island um, between Sicily and the North African coast, and they had Sega Channel. But I guess if it's satellite, you're really you're good. Like as long as you have a connection. Hmm. That's really so, cool. So there was this like um, I saw this press release about something that they were supposed to launch for Sega Channel. Basic, it was basically the year that they launched. They also announced a partnership with a California, with the California-based the Interactive Network. They called themselves, which would allow which would allow users to submit high scores for competition and prizes. According to the press release made by Sega back in January twenty seventh. 1994, the company would employ a patent methodology, that's what they called it, which would uh, mean connect people, connect, you have to basically connect your, uh, the thing to your phone. So it was probably another add on. And then uh, you would make a 20 second local call. When, and then when you did the 20 second local call, that would submit your high score. And then in five oh, that's minutes, cool. in five minutes, it would be on Sega channel. So you would be able to see your high score with everyone else. Um, hmm. Also, interactive networks uh, had their own subscription servers planned, which would uh, basically be kind of like Twitch, where you could play along real time with televised game shows, sports, and entertainment. Obviously, huh. this never panned out, and I and I tried to look for the company online, and I couldn't find anything of what happened to them. So That's they probably they probably never got the technology to work out, and I think Sega probably canceling their contract made them you know go away. Um, <laughs> Sega did have a bunch of like tournaments online. So like when Primal Rage came out, they did press releases that 25% of uh, Sega channel subscribers actually competed in one of their com- competitions they did with, you know, without this company. Right. So there was still, there was still some competitions. I think I saw it was like maybe 12 games had competitions. Um, it never went, uh, it never got huge, but Sega ch- did try to do stuff like this even when this kind of didn't go through. I think right. it's I think it's kind of stupid to have another add-on and another method of, you know, sending data. You, they should have done it with the satellite dish, you know. The same idea, but I guess they didn't want right. to send they didn't want to send data from your console back, only send data from them to you. That's what it seems like. Yeah. So, uh let's look at some of the ads we had. Um this service was like overly promoted. There's like almost there's like two infomercials and like nine 30 second ads. But right now we're going to look at some of the print ads that came out. Um, the first one we're looking at right here says your tombstone will read game over. And it's just a bunch of and a bunch of info and little letters down here, like explaining the service that nobody's going to read when they look at the ad and they skim through it. It says Looking for meaning, a, a meaning of life thing? Look no further. Sega Channel is here. It's up to 50 games a month with secret codes, insider tips, test drives, and the newest games pumped in, into your home 24 hours a day. What, <laughs> how are kids supposed to know what a test drive is? Right. I mean, you know, it has the number. You'll get old. Sega Channel won't. I like it. <laughs> We are old. Wow. So they knew it. They knew it. Um. This ad was basically, I think it's a little simplistic for Sega back in the day, you know, uh, just black. Come on, dude. Um, yeah, that, that, um, the tombstone one in the 24 hours is the best we can do. Um, really remind me of 
Game Genie ads or Blockbuster video ad- ads, don't they? It, kind of, yeah. And I think that's what they're trying to go for, maybe. Like, oh, it's right. a TV service. Trying to get the stupid image to uh, That's block. interesting. That stop just watching TV kind of yeah. that they tagged on there. It changes. Like when I was complaining about Sega Channel's logo, like I like that stop just watching TV. So it's like, oh, I'm playing TV. That's interesting. <laughs> so the, there, so these two, the your tombstone will read game over, and the twenty four hours is the best you can do. We're basically the same ad; they just changed the text. Then right. there's obviously the fifty twenty four seven one, where it's like fifty games, uh, play them twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. That was the ad. Yeah. It was like that was trying yeah. to grab. It's always open. You could always rent. You could. Always, it's always never closed, which is kind of cool. Being a kid, you know. Uh, and then the last one was basically uh, one of the classic Sega ads where they were, they added some ledge edge to it. Right. So yeah, um, you, you can you explain this ad the 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 Christmas one? Yeah. So it it looks like a kid kidnapped Rudolph and he's threatening to send Santa Rudolph burgers unless he uh, gives the kid Sega Channel, which is kind of funny because it's like Sega Channel's pretty cheap entry price. So maybe Santa could give it to him, but then cancel it after the first month. Ah, uh, you know? we're kids. I mean, kids aren't that smart, but uh, yeah, right. But I like how he goes, "Hey, fat boy!" <laughs> like, jeez, Jesus this Christ. year, keep this. Yeah, hey, asshole, hey, asshole. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and we also had another billboard ad, which had Sonic the Hedgehog, and it's like, "Just stop watching TV," like you said, and then it has the cable company, which is who probably paid for this. Oh, so wow. I'm sure. So I'm sure Sega, with their partnership with cable companies, knew that all these ads were going to be going out, and it would not only be good for the cable company, but also for the Sega brand in America. Um, right. So let's look at one of the first ads on here. I picked three out of the nine thirty-second ads that we uh, had. This one right here kind of reminds me of like uh, the Goonies uh, when you're ready to watch it. It's basically like somebody watched The Goonies and they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to make an ad about it. And this is it. All right. One, Let me know when you're ready. I'm ready. One, two, three. This is The Goonies. You're right. Watch. Oh, wait. This is the wrong. This is crazy. Yeah, but it's cool. Got cable TV? Get Sega Channel. Hook in your Genesis. Choose from up to 50 games a month. <laughs> Play them 24 hours a day. It's here and it's real. I get the winner. <laughs> Their eyes popped out. Bait, yeah. So what do you think about that, Ed? That's that's pretty cool. I mean, I like that um, you're getting a little look at the menu here. So even just as like a little like time capsule of the era... Um, it's interesting to see test drives, the locker room. I think it's interesting. Fantasyland, wing, wings and wheels. I think you're right too about that um, character limit because looking at this sword and sorcery would be way too big. Um, For sure. Newslink games renovations. Um, I, what really surprises me is I don't remember seeing these ads. Neither do. And I remember. Do I. I watched a ton of TV as a kid, and I don't remember this ad at all. And it's also, they had like infomercials. I never really saw that. Um, here's another video, the next one. This one is more like, oh, this is more fast cuts, cool college kid narration. And of course, uh, 
talks about hating your parents if you're a kid. Oh, I hate my parents. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's watch this one. This is more classic Sega than the other one was. All right. All right one, let's go. Two, three. Imagine having to beg your parents for 50 video games every month. That's like Imagine. kissing up to them 600 <laughs> times a year. Forget, uh, Forget it. Dogs, he's barking. You get unlimited on-demand play he's playing the game. <laughs> I love it. Ask your parents to call your cable company to get the channel you play instead of watch. I remember Pitfall. Save you from being totally humiliated this holiday season. Yeah, don't be a loser. Get Sega Channel. Time Warner cable ad. Oh, look at that. That's beautiful. So they did a lot of ads like, I mean, they did ads like that, you know, that was mm -hmm. classic Sega. And I'm assuming those were done by the cable companies. They just emulated Sega's uh, style, which was, right. I think, a good a good, comp a good idea because uh, I think Sega had a way of talking to young kids. So definitely worked. And uh, the last ad we're going to look at is... Um, Basically the same idea. Um, this one is uh, you'll be able to – this one talks about ruling your pathetic friends. And just imagine how our life would have changed if we had Sega Channel, you know? Like all our friends, pathetic fucking losers for the ever because we had Sega Channel. We had all the games. They had nothing. So <laughs> Yeah, right. That, yeah. So now we're the losers. Sorry. Um, Oops. So, so uh, when you're ready. Let's one, do it. two, three. Same music Got to too. Sega Genesis? Cool. Yeah. You rule your friends for the rest of their uh, I think this is the same link I put. No, I'm getting the right ones. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. Only on Sega Channel, up to 50 ripping games a month for less than 50 cents a day. So get a phone. $2,500 value. <laughs> oh, you know what? So go, which cuts? This um commercial is a lot like like if any of these commercials i'd remember i don't remember this one but it's almost exactly like the nickelodeon magazine commercial do you remember those yeah it's like yeah. go get your parents right now and tell them i want nickelodeon magazine please please like do it's it. a little more it's a little more polite but it just says keep bothering your parents say i want nickelodeon magazine please this one kind of <laughs> reminds me of that it's funny, though, because they always try to push this whole... There's another one where it's an infomercial and it's like a college kid and it's like, look, you can't afford... Your parents can't afford $50, 50 games a month, but they could afford $12, right? So it's like literally peddling this service like crack, you know, like a teenager, like a college kid. Oh, for kid. sure. And I'm seeing, too, like in the suggested videos here, the promos, and they're like five-minute... You're right, like five-minute ads of kids talking. Yeah. Uh, about Sega Gen. I mean, I have to wonder if I was just not in a... Was, was it available everywhere in the U.S.? It said to one-thirds of all Americans at it. So, I guess we're, whenever... If you had Time Warner Cable or the provider, they would play the ads on their service for free. So, I'm assuming it was kind of like free advertisement for Sega where these infomercials... Um, Maybe. Yeah, and it looks like it has the guys who uh, did Rock the Rock hosting or something like that, some of these infomercials. Maybe I'm wrong, but... So Looks like yeah, the same sort of vibe. yeah, we we could do an episode on just the infomercials and like breaking it <laughs> yeah. down and all the propaganda. So let's talk yeah. about the the legacy of this. Uh, let's this is the end of the episode. We're going to be talking about the legacy and what people thought about it. You know, looking wow. back, um, like we said at its height, it had two hundred fifty thousand users, but Sega expected to have a million subscribers by the end of the first year, which never actually happened for the service. 
Uh, now it is actually praised by IGN for its role in development of online gaming, but criticized for its high price and timing in the market. According to IGN, uh, Sega Channel helped clean the picture, uh, cable picture, uh, picture quality. Sega mm-hmm. 16's Ken Horowitz uh, talked about the whole high price and timing by saying, and I quote him, "Who would spend 13 bucks a month to play games f- for a dying system?" This is a horrendous blunder, one of many by Sega Enterprises, caused retails, uh, retailers to dump their inventory of systems, therefore sealing the fate of Sega Channel once and for all, which is true. Mm. After 1994, Sega basically stopped selling the Sega Genesis and kind of wanted to move on to uh, Sega Saturn. So the timing was not great uh, coming out in 1994, but... People were saying they should have came out in 1989 as a launch thing, and while right. they're while they're right, it's kind of hard to like bargain with like uh, cable providers to give you free ads and like put this whole infrastructure in place for this idea when you basically have zero per, or five percent of the U.S. market, right? So right. It, it took Sonic. I mean, it took Sonic to come out before we they captured at least forty percent and were viable to talk about it. I think 1991, 1992 would have been more, you know, it would have been a great timing, right? Sonic the Hedgehog 2 is coming out. There's a cable service where you'll be able to play for uh, early. Like, just the idea that you can play Sonic 2 two weeks early as a demo of just, like, Green Hill Zone or Emerald Hill Zone, it would have actually sold more cable providers and it would have kind of, like, tied in with all this marketing that was happening at the time. That would have been cool for sure, yeah. Yeah, but... What do you think about the everybody saying the timing was wrong? Because, I mean, I think it was decisions made in 1995 by Sega Japan that kind of screwed this whole thing up. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I've, It's kind of a difficult thing because you could say, oh, I wish they did this earlier, but it's kind of technology that they would have had to have invented earlier. So it's yeah. kind of un- unfair to, you know, like you could say that with anything. You're like, imagine, oh man, Xbox One would have been like the best system ever if it came out five years earlier. You know, like it couldn't. Of course. So Yeah, I, I mean, um, at least I don't know if there was anything. Um, outside of this, I mean, the only thing I've ever seen was like I, when I had, well, I mean, Satellite Dish has like mini games, like, uh, like really small mini games, like, I don't know, like pong or whatever i think some of them have it in the menus so there's yeah this kind yeah, of idea. hotels yeah hotels would have very basic like breakout and stuff i remember yeah. you'd have like cable and then it would say games you go games and you use your like remote control in the hotel room to like and it sucks it. i mean it, yeah. it would have been sicker and like so the idea still kind of lived on in cable and satellite providers providing games for prices on their service I think now it's dead. There's no uh, actual thing. That, I mean, there's no actual market for gamers. I mean, there's so many games everywhere. You can play Fortnite right. for free on your mobile. Why would you want to go and uh, play it on your satellite dish? Right. So, I mean, the, for me, the closest thing is like I have Apple TV. And the fact that I can play the Taxman Sonic 1, 2 games on it is pretty sweet. You know, like I can play yeah. all the Taxman games. And I typically use that just for TV. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I can play games on this. That's cool. <laughs> so so I, I don't think there's a, a service. I do remember like the closest thing that we were that Sega was trying to do uh, before the Sega Dreamcast died was like sell Dreamcasts to TV manufacturers where you'd be able to play Dreamcast games and TVs. But that was more like. 
they were just trying to sell hardware. Like, oh, you could put a Dreamcast inside a TV and you could put a disc in. And it's like, probably not the right. greatest idea. But For yeah, sure. that's the end of the episode. That's all the notes I have. Uh, that Sega channel, like I said, there's a ROM out there where you could actually experience it, <laughs> I guess, right? <laughs> Um, yeah. it's not real. It's not real, but it's a uh, it's a ROM that lets you pretend that you're uh, using this service with a bunch of games, even though you could play the games anytime you want if you already have a ROM thing set up on your Genesis. Right. Yeah, and you know we usually throw this out then to like our Patreon to share their memories. No one did, but I don't blame them. I don't think it was because <laughs> because yeah, no, no one saw nobody it. Nobody had I memories. No one had memories. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Neither did um, we. I think I should have phrased it up. What do you want to say about Sega Channel? But I guess that's my fault. Um, but that's <laughs> the end of the episode. I guess we could just uh, tease uh, our next week's episode. What are you going to do for, I mean, next two weeks? Something Sega related. Oh. That's all I can say. Okay, so Togem, aka all... I haven't I haven't thought yeah. about it. <laughs> all right, we'll find out soon enough. Um, oh, you will, you will. But in the meantime, like I said, fastest food alive. I'll be putting that up within the week. I have to edit it first, but I shot it. That was fun. I drank an energy drink today, so that was cool. Oh, so. you're all you're all hyper today. That's why. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> all right. Thank you guys for watching. Catch you guys on the next Sega Talk. Bye. Bye.